This is Tanya Lynn with the Sistership Circle podcast. From spirituality, sexuality, and sisterhood to business, relationships, contribution, and creativity, the Sistership Circle podcast introduces a new model of feminine leadership where women get real and vulnerable about it all. Tune in for authentic advice that will empower you to be bold, beautiful, and brilliant as your true self. Hi, everyone. That's Tanya Lynn, and I'm so excited for this podcast with the amazing Liana Silver. And Liana just came out with a new book that we're going to dive into today that I picked up just a few days ago and literally have not been able to put it down. It is so good. And I was like, Liana, I just, I have to share this and I have to interview you. And she's like, okay. So here we are, and let me tell you a little bit about her, and then, uh, and then you get to meet her, and we're going to dive into some really, really juicy stuff around, around her book, and around feminine leadership, and around the dark goddess, and all kinds of really, really juicy things that may even feel a little scary for most women, but we're going to go there today. So let me tell you about her. Liana Silver is a coach, teacher, and speaker who helps women find the full expression of their feminine strengths in work, love, and life. Her offerings include private coaching, her mentorship program, Woman, the Embodiment Experience, and her online courses, Ignite Your Feminine Genius. Her work has been featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, and Jezebel. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina, and you can learn more at lianasilver.com. And the link, of course, will be in our show notes. So welcome, Liana. I am so happy that we get to talk about this. Thanks for having me. You're amazing. You birthed (laughs) something so big. It's just so exciting. Thank you. And I love that it's a page turner. Usually how-tos aren't really what you'd consider compelling. So I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah, it really, really is. And I, it, it, it just, it just flows and it's just, it's like your story. I mean, it's your story woven in with personal development and um, your writing is just so eloquent and beautiful. So mm. Great work. Great work. Okay. So I'm going to read some facts because I think this is a really good place for us to start. Ladies, 65% of an American of American women have an eating disorder. One in four women take antidepressants taken at almost twice the rate of men. 97% of women admit to having at least one. I hate my body moment every day. 97%. We have these limited beliefs of saying, I hate, my, I hate my body. That's just, these are just crazy. One in five women will be raped in their lifetime. One in three women will experience sexual or physical abuse in their lifetime. 51% of the population is made up of women, and yet women only hold 11% of decision-making positions in media, government, and education. of 10-year-old girls worry about becoming too fat. One in four girls will be sexually abused before the age of 18. And the last one, a woman is 70% more likely than a man to experience depression during her lifetime. 
I'm just feeling like the anxiety raising up in my chest as I read this. And yet it is so important that we look at where we are as women today. So Liana, let's just start (laughs) with these facts because they're just, they're staggering. And what are we going to do? I mean, (laughs) where do we go from here? I know this is what your book addresses. So let's start there. Yeah, they're, they're overwhelming. And, you know, and we've come quite far even, right, in the last several hundred years or, or so. So I certainly don't, I certainly thank and stand on the shoulders of all the work that has been done and all the equality that's been created and fought for. It's still not very good, you know, it's still not looking very good for girls and for women and for the, the feminine strengths in the world. And um, I can get pretty depressed, you know, especially with the current political tenor and the administration in this country, it seems to me to be going uh, backward to medieval times rather than forward toward gender parity and justice and etc. So I'm with you. And I know that there is something that happens when a woman realizes the con of and sort of pulls the wool off her eyes of realizing how much of her life force has been stolen by an obsession with physical appearance and trying to fit into a, a mold or an ideal and, and goes, what the, the gig is up, <laughs> the gig is up. I'm not, I'm not investing in that anymore. There's something that turns on in her, that energy and life force and vitality and focus. Um, what it does to her own sense of self is enough. And yet what always happens when a woman is feeling enough and a woman is feeling uh, really resting in her value and her potential, it always ripples out rather quickly into her family, into her friends, into her community, into the global system at at large. So another really cool quote, this helps turn the tide statistic, I guess. Uh, Two, two of them. So the authors of a book called The Athena Doctrine surveyed 64,000 people, not a small amount of people, across the lines of gender, of nationality, of race, of economic strata, et cetera good, good cross section of people and have them define what they've considered to be masculine strengths and feminine strengths. And one of the founding statistics or findings of the, the survey was that 75% about of people said that the world would be a better place when men thought more like women. And when all of us employed all these sets of, of, of traits, many of which were considered feminine, we're going to talk about them today, which I thought that was incredible. And then Oxfam just did an um, an, uh, article I saw last month and said, as we're working toward gender parity, having women and girls have more access to education and opportunity, the global economy would increase by $12 trillion, 100 million less people would be hungry, and children would be less likely to die young. So, you know, there's mounting evidence. And there's the inside each woman and, and gl- the, the spread globally. So, you know, I love this. 
analogy, you know, maybe you've heard this story, it's such a potent story, where there's a grandmother and her granddaughter walking along the ocean, and it's uh, low tide, so all of the starfish have been washed up on the beach, and they're dying. And the grandmother is picking up one starfish by one starfish and putting them in the bucket and then throwing them back in the ocean. And the granddaughter says, well, there are so many. What does it matter for this? Like, we've got so many. What does it matter for even for this one? And the grandmother says, well, for this one, I made a difference. And it always just really clues it in for me of one by one. That's how it happens, one by one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I'm reminded of right now is when I, I spoke at the Chopra Center and one of the other speakers was Dr. Shafali, um, who wrote um, the, the Conscious Parent. And she was talking about how we as women are no longer victims to this whole patriarchal system. Like we actually have so much power. And it's when we get that we keep perpetuating it, like that we can claim back our power. And I truly believe that the work to do is the work that you are describing in the feminine genius. And it is just such you, I mean, you just did such a brilliant job at really um, talking about this pathway for women to really reclaim back that power and let go of this conditioning that keeps us thinking that we're still victims to it or keeps us like stuck in the system. So um, I just really want to have you share what this path is and um, the way I, you know, and, and this idea of, I, for me, it's like a reclaiming of this feminine genius. And what does that even mean? This is so great. Let's go there. <laughs> I do want to say, so I want to talk about feminine genius and the path of feminine genius. And um, I do want to say my work tends to be on the internal uh, environment of a woman, but we live in a world that's crazy and views women and has institutions that um, really inhibit us from, from much. I'm not pretending that doesn't exist, right? So it, it's not just that we reclaim something in the world um, instantly is better, right? It, it's infrastructure needs to change and so does the interstructure. So I just want to acknowledge both. Yes. So, okay. So feminine genius, I like to define it a bunch of different ways. And one is to say it's a mix, a mix of our intuitive, sensual, cyclical, uh, emotional and collaborative strengths, which are the same ones that were identified in the Athena doctrine survey, by the way. Uh, feminine genius to me, uh, it's a, it's life force. It is life force, vitality, energy that runs through the entire world and certainly through our bodies. If the, if we say that a woman is like a light bulb, then feminine genius is the energy that courses through the wires, through the electric sockets, the filaments, and allows the light bulb and the woman to illuminate the room. So feminine genius is the light. It is life force itself. And it's also the woman who is lit. And the genius part, we usually equate genius with somebody like Einstein. Einstein. We, it, we equate it with 
mental genius, with intellectual genius. And, and actually, to just use Einstein as a, as a poster child for a moment, he was super smart. Uh, he had a great intellect. And actually, if you read some of his quotes or some of his research, actually what he was doing was employing his intuitive mind, as he called it, and allowing, sort of opening up his awareness from this world of matter to the other world of soul, of spirit. I like to call it collective soul. Um, of otherworldly intelligence and letting it have its way with him. And that's partly why we, he's the forefather of so much of modern theoretical physics and science. Uh, so it's not just his intellect, but it's also his intuition. So genius is a, um, I got this concept from Elizabeth Gilbert and her TED Talk, which is great. And you should rush out and watch it if you haven't. <clears throat> and she says, genius shares the same root as genie. And for a, a lot of time throughout history, it was, it was assumed you could, you didn't, you weren't a genius or not, you just had one. They, they got visited by one. One came and took up residence in your heart, <laughs> you know, or your home. Sometimes it's called a Juno, sometimes it's called a genie, sometimes it's called genius or a kitchen gnome or a house elf or something, but it's a force that comes and claims you and has its way with you and we all have access to it. So it's not personal. Sometimes we feel like, oh, she's a genius, but I'm not, but it's absolutely universal. So to me, this path is recognizing <clears throat> we all as human beings have, <clears throat> excuse me, a feminine and, mas feminine and uh, masculine aspect to us. So this, we are talking about feminine qualities. We are talking about women who self-identify as women. And some degree, we might talk about the female body, but they're not the same. Every human being has both masculine and feminine aspects to us. And in case we haven't noticed, the thing fueling that, those horrifying statistics you read, is because we are prostrate in total devotion to our masculine genius, to our thinking, linear qualities, to goal orientation, productivity, to anal analysis, competitive, hierarchical thinking and, and strengths. And they're good and they're necessary. Our feminine genius and our masculine genius need balance. But the book's about in reintroducing you to your feminine genius uh, so that there can be balance. And I, I, so this is not a masculine slam by any stretch. I love my masculine, you know, in me and in my life. Uh, so the path I think is is this, is realizing the world has, is so afraid of the feminine and of girls and women. If, if girls and women and the feminine were valued, those statistics I, you just read would dwindle and become insignificant. So the path is about, wow, you know, there's these qualities in me that I'm also scared of, and a lot of them are the feminine. And we push them down, we hide them away, and we get busy doing masculine stuff, and then we lose half of our power, half of our, our, tr our access to our truth, our access to our intuitive intelligence, and a sense of, you know, of worth and value, or of just having a good time in our lives. So the path is, yeah, you know, it's hard to go and look in the closet where you've stuffed all the things that you assumed were ugly and unacceptable about yourself, and, and open up the closet and look, so I'm not saying it's always pretty or easy, but it's kind of euphoric. 
actually. And it's a fun irony, right? My true power is actually buried in the parts of myself that I've disowned. And so there's a, such a beautiful homecoming with the, with the path of feminine genius. And a couple of things that I, um, that I read that you identified is this concept of death and rebirth, right? And uh, how we as a society are so focused on the light and so focused on um, having the smiley face on <laughs> and accomplishment and achievement, right? And so we're so focused on the light, um, which to me is very masculine. And then we ignore the dark, which to me is more the feminine mm. of the mystery and the womb space and the void, right? So part of the path is going into that and we could talk about that. And then the other piece is really allowing uh, our emotions to be honored and revered because that is such a key piece of us as women that we've stuffed down is it's not okay to feel, it's unsafe to feel, um, your feelings aren't okay here. And so we have downplayed our emotions and yet we're such like we just feel like that is what it means to be a woman is to feel so much. And so those two things of being able to embrace the dark and able to embrace your emotions will create the wholeness of you as a woman. And I love how you just really took us step by step and how to be able to go into these mm -hmm. um, more uncomfortable places but I see that as the path. So I just wanted to have open it up and have you share anything about those two um, important pieces of this journey. This yeah. Program. You know, it's the thing that uh, I get the most. Thank you for writing that, you know, or thanking, thank you for addressing this thing. I didn't know how to deal with in myself or I didn't know nobody's talking about it. So not, not that I'm the only one talking about it, but I think that's the experience people have because we're so focused on, on comfort or achievement. Uh, and those certainly aren't bad by any stretch. So, there, so, you know, if we're talking about a difference between masculine and feminine, uh, a nice metaphor for our masculine strengths in us is like a train that starts at point A, goes to point B as quickly as it can and efficiently as it can. And, um, you know, as a goal in mind, there's that linear goal-oriented quality to it. And there is something that epitomizes the feminine, which is a cycle. And I call it, as you just called it, the death and rebirth cycle. And so it doesn't go one straight line. It kind of it goes round and round, like the seasons of the natural world or our menstrual cycle, right? There's this cyclical nature. And the world is built for being on all the time and having the same levels of productivity and same levels of focus all the time. And so what we do with our cycles, whether it's our menstrual cycle or our moods or our emotion, emotions or even just seasons of life, like there will be people who have just had a spouse die and go to the doctor and say, you know, and the doctor says, take some antidepressant medic medicine, but they're just going through a natural part of life, which is grief that, you, that you're going through a death period, like a literal death or a metaphoric death is a, a 
a, a part of life and a part of your wisdom, and we don't want to actually cut it short. Not that there isn't a, a time for antidepressants, but it's not as much of the time as it, as it gets offered. So I think understanding this thing we get medicated for, this thing we caffeinate ourselves for, right, to stay on all the time, uh, is actually we are not crazy or broken for going up and down and all around. It is a piece of wisdom, as you said. And the piece of wisdom is, and I'll borrow it from the natural world, which we look, we look at right now where I'm living, it's springtime, it is beautiful. I much prefer springtime to winter. You know, there's unbelievable green and flowers and it's warm and I can wear a sundress. So it feels that life is in abundance and life is easy. And guaranteed in six months, all those leaves are gonna be stripped away. It's gonna get cold, it's gonna get dormant. And there's going to be a laying fallow, the fertile void you spoke of. It's not an accident. This is because there's always a seed planted in the dark of winter that has to be planted then. That's actually when the alchemy starts. That's when the germination starts. We don't see it till the springtime, but there is something going on in that dark time that is scary for us to be in. But a, but a seed or an aspect of our inner authority or a new sense of self is always born in the dark. I mean, sometimes we get it easy, absolutely. But a lot of times the things that really, there is a, there is a divine force that says that way you've become accustomed to knowing yourself or going about life, it no longer works. We're going to strip it away like the leaves of the tree and lay you bare and have you be spiritually naked because you don't need those parts anymore because a new part of you is being born. And I'm not saying it doesn't hurt like hell, but, uh, but I don't know that the point of life is to, well, we can't escape pain, right? <laughs> um, so by not letting the cycles have us, or not, you know, knowing how to survive them, I think, uh, really, and thrive later because of them, we do a huge disservice. We were blocked from our power and our wisdom. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, and I love that quote in the book that you're like, you know, that bulb that is that beautiful flower in the spring has to be planted in the winter. And it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> I, I feel like uh, as I was reading it, I mean, even though I've, I've gone through some of this work on my own, it was just like the words that you put, like there was this like, oh, just this, like giving us permission as women to get into our natural state and to be in our natural flow and to honor death and rebirth and to stop seeing it as so bad and so wrong. And, um, and yet you, you said it, I mean, you're saying it now, but like in the book, you're just like, if you're in it right now, you cannot see the other side, like, because you're in the dark, if you're in a cave and you can't see the other, you know, the other side of the cave, it's all dark. You have no idea when it's going to end. Um, it feels like you're never going to be able to get out. You feel trapped. And yet you just keep walking one step at a time is what you said in the book until you start to see that the light on the other side of the tunnel. That's like, Oh, over here, you know, but I just remember, um, 
you know, last year I went through a really dark period and I was so judgmental and so hating the process. And so like, I shouldn't be going through this. I've already been through it before, you know, like, why is this happening to me again? And I mean, it just felt like everything was crumbling and I'm literally hearing in this huge fight with my brother, just what a, I'm not a contribution. And I just have this terrible attitude and like just this total judgment from him of like where I was at. And it was like at the end of that whole darkness, I got pregnant and it was like, Oh, and then everything shifted, you know? Cause it was like literally the death before the planting the seed. And then, <laughs> so that, you know, I got pregnant in, in um, end of October and then this January, this year has just been like complete spring, summer, you know? So it was like last year was the dark winter, fall, um, planting the seed, literally. <laughs> so then everything changing. And now, and it was great reading this and like reflecting back on like, wow, yeah, I was in such judgment of that period and I couldn't see out of it. And I have others judging me for being there you know, and, um, and yet that had to happen. I had to go through that for the breakthrough to then get pregnant. So, yeah. Do you, do you, I don't want to put you on the spot, but no, go ahead. I'm so, always down. <laughs> well, this is kind of a question in the book, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes the answer to this question isn't going to come immediately. It comes by sitting with it and stewing in it, but let's just see. So there's, there's, the question is, looking back, so you've got two feet planted on the shore of rebirth, <laughs> so you can sort of have some vantage point and look back at that dark time. And what would you say is, it, is an aspect of your inner clarity or inner authority or just a, a nascent sense of yourself that couldn't have come except through that time, if you, to whatever degree you can articulate? Oh, my God, yeah. Well, it started with a miscarriage. And then I got into a business relationship that even though my little inner voice was saying, don't get into, don't, don't mix friendship with business again. Like, and I just kept, and I did it anyway, and then had a whole process around that, that was just devastating for both of us. Um, that took us over a year to really come back to our friendship. Um, and then um, I was, it was like all around um, like who I needed to become to bring a second life into this world. And so all these little pieces of really boundaries, needs, knowing my truth, um, and even this whole thing that happened with my brother almost felt like that needed to heal because I had so much coming up around second child and my relationship with my brother. And even that whole fight was interesting timing of it. Um, so yeah, I feel like it was a lot of, um, I almost want to say self-authority is a great word or, or sovereignty of like, I had to step into what I'm calling my mother queen versus the martyr mother. And, um, and that was all like an initiation. 
for really embodying my queen to then be able to set myself up now to um, have a second child and still run my business and still be able to take care of a toddler. Um, It's almost like I needed to go through this training to be able to then step into that next level. Yes. Yes. So beautiful. And, you know, that kind of questioning might take weeks or something and you did it beautifully, totally put on the spot. And so this is partly, I think just using you to, to understand the strange wisdom that it is that Mm -hmm. this cyclical wisdom of going down into the dark, you know, that the dark or the death period or the winter is also the unknown. And when we come back into the light, you know, then we've got our answer, we've got the known, but as you put it really well, it's, it's a spiritual teachers tell us all the time to that some of the best work we can do is go back to beginner's mind or is to, to leave certainty and to go into the unknown to, to have a, a, have new certainty, to have new, a new answer for now or a new sense of self. And, uh, you know, it, it seems funny why wouldn't you get just put on a throne and have roses put at your feet and be properly coronated as a queen if you're stepping into that queen queen mother archetype but actually you know this going through the dark is not a punishment it is an initiation it is that is the invitation like this is how you get your queen chops <laughs> i just thought that was that was really beautiful and so let me just say one more thing yeah I, like we can't underestimate how tough it is to be in a depression, a grief, a trauma, or a re-triggered trauma, or a dark time. And uh, we do make it harder on ourselves by closing down to it or making ourselves wrong for it. And I think the best thing we can do is just really be as open as possible, but not even try to get the lesson yet. We really just work with the sensation and the emotion so that we don't run away to caffeinated, medicated, you know, drink or drug or shop or whatever we're going to do. And then the clarity comes afterward. So it takes something to be, like you said, in a cave where you literally can't see where you're going. And it's always going to be longer than you think you can bear. That's just the design of it. And spring always comes. It always comes. And that's when we can look back and say, man, I wish I could have gotten that lesson some other way, but I couldn't have come any other way. Uh, And so I think this is the wisdom of of the queen of the dark. Hmm. Yeah, and what I'm most present to right now is what you were talking about in the book of we don't have any models of how to deal with this. And so what the model that we have is go get, go shop, go medicate, go drink, go, you know, drug, go whatever. And we don't have these feminine role models. And so where we need to go and why, and I just love how you articulated this of why so many women are so interested in goddess archetypes right now, because in those old ancient goddess archetypes, is where we can actually find a role model of what to do and how to handle this um, dark queen uh, and, and, and go through our dark night of the soul or, or this winter period, right? And one in particular that 
it's so interesting that so many women in this world that we live in, um, the, the goddess world is Isis because Isis went into the underworld and she so beautifully showed, um, she's a model. She's actually a model that we can use. So, and I, and I love that because I, there's almost like this, why are we as women so drawn to these goddess archetypes? And you just nailed it. Like, this is the role model. Like this is, we're searching for the wisdom of like, how do I get through this? Well, here we go. Here she is. Yeah. She's a, um, she lived thousands of years ago, but let's use her as an example. So I would love to pass that on to you and, and share a little bit about these goddess archetypes as our new role models for the, the feminine genius to emerge. I love it. I mean, we've got a few, you know, yeah, we've, yeah. Got, we've got Oprah and Beyonce and Sally Yates and Hillary Clinton to a certain degree. You know, we, we've got lots of them, not enough, but lots of them. And I love this idea. And so an archetype is a just, I think we all get it in our bones, but just to talk about it briefly, an archetype is a, it's an energy that exists in what we call the collective consciousness or the collective unconscious. And it was pre-popularized by um, Carl Jung. And so when I think of intuitive intelligence, I think of collective consciousness or collective soul, that there is um, just an unlimited amount of stuff there that we can tap into and some of it is archetypes so these are um for uh, just to give an example of an archetype certainly the goddess isis we'll get to her she's pretty awesome the princess is an archetype the computer geek is an archetype it's just a like a a certain type they're they're learning and growing in particular ways and we it, it feels, I think it feels very connected to universal intelligence when we tap into archetypes. That's our collective soul. So Isis um, is it was an Egyptian goddess. Um, we're like talking like 5,000 years ago when she was in her heyday. Partly I think that we, we love her for a bunch of reasons. She was considered to sort of have universal mother energy, but she was also, and also a goddess of fertility and goddess of the cycle of the death and rebirth cycle and goddess of sacred sexuality. I don't even know that those two words had to be put together at that time. They were implied that, that sexuality was sacred. And so the myth of Isis, I think you'd be told in a couple of different ways, but essentially um, her her lover and partner goes missing and she goes and finds in the this deep and murky swamp and she kind of goes and sticks her hand down, you know, in the dark depths of the unknown and pulls out his body pieces and puts them together. And in one telling I heard, it's, you know, it's called remembering. If the pieces of our bodies are members, right? It's like this remembering. And I love that. It's not the most unique use of the word remembering, but you know, it's a remembering that this other half of her has been chopped up, disowned and stuck into the dark places. And she has to kind of go down, go deep, go into the dark to recover them and can put them back together. And that the body is made whole, that this, that the you know it's not that she transcends the body that that she this 
literal and figurative aspect of her other half is made whole again through the body. So uh, I love her for that. And um, I mean, she's, you know, who knows if, if, uh, if I'm, there might be councils out there that would tell me this is not historically correct, but my understanding is also, so St. Mary Magdalene is considered to be a little bit in that lineage of Isis. And I love, we don't have to talk about, get, get too off of Isis track, but St. Mary Mag, I just love her story because I didn't really study a lot of Christianity. It wasn't my spiritual tradition when I grew up, but I knew who she was. I knew she was a dirty girl. And I knew that she was the worst word you could call a woman, which is a whore. And that her story is now in the mainstream, condoned by the Catholic church. And, and she's been sainted as the apostle of the apostles. And I mean, I've read the gospel of Mary Magdalene, which is, which was retrieved a couple hundred years ago, but it's only lately been, been kind of talked about. And it's, mysticism. It is, it is just talking about how to tap into collective soul um, and that we are spiritual beings in a material world and like how to do that. It's, it's cool stuff. It's, it's a little cryptic, but so um, she, you know, talk about reversing the smear campaign against the body or women's bodies or sexuality or being embodied as a divine path or as an embodiment of divinity. So I'm all for Isis and Miss Mary. Mm. Yeah, it's and it's so great um, for us to have to know that we do because I hear that a lot. Like we don't have a lot of feminine, powerful feminine um, role models today. And yeah, there are a few, like you said, like Beyonce is. It's amazing, like her. <laughs> her ISIS reenactment um, at the, the, what was it? Emmy's Oscars, Grammys. Yeah. And so we do, we do have some women and, um, and specifically, you know, we can look at these archetypes as a way of going through this, these dark initiations. Yes. But just to to underscore your, your point is I think even when we look at Beyonce, like this pregnant woman who is so sensually in her body and obviously embodying the goddess, we still are tapping into the archetypal energy by looking at her. Yes. We look at that and there's something in us remembers and we go, I want to embody that too. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So important. Um, And I think that's, you know, why so many of us are being drawn to understanding and diving into archetypes and why it's so much a part of doing this feminine work. So last piece I want to go into uh, before we run out of time here is the heroine's journey that you bring up and um, how Joseph Campbell came up with the hero's journey, which is mainly about men. And my first introduction to the heroine's journey was when I was kind of coming out of my dark night of the soul a few years ago. And I actually met with Maureen Murdoch um, who wrote the heroine's journey. And I love that you had this new, a different take on the heroine's journey and, and said it um, much differently than the way that she kind of described it. Um, So I would love for you to share a little bit about what the heroine's journey means to you and um, how this is all part of the feminine genius or 
the reclaiming of our feminine genius? Oh, beautiful question. So the hero's journey, we all kind of, I think we get it by now. It's in common parlance, but it, it, it's a set of, it's actually a cycle. When you, if you look it up on Wikipedia or online, it's usually portrayed as a, as a circle. Yeah. And you start out in the light and you start out with a life is just fine and you get called to adventure. And then you start going down into the unknown. Front, leave your land of certainty and you go into the dark series of tests, obstacles, et cetera, and you somehow find a elixir of life, a thing that's making it all worth, and you come back, come back to home. So it's very built in, this, this archetypal journey, the uh, death and rebirth journey. And yeah, he was a guy, and he was, you know, a wonderful, possibly a saint of a man, Joseph Campbell, but he was a guy, and we're still learning how when men retell stories of humanity, that it is slanted, it can be slanted. Um, so my take on it, I borrow a little bit from Jungian dream analysis, which essentially says, if you have a dream at night, so your, your night dreams, not, not daydreams, but your, your dreams at night, and you imagine that all the players in it or all the characters are aspects of you, they're not the literal people. So Michael Jackson is not Michael Jackson in your dream. He's an aspect of you. You know, or the bunny rabbit is not the bunny rabbit. It's an aspect of you. And then a couple of things happen, which is we start to realize, I think one of the main things to realize of we, that we create our reality and that we can recreate it in a way that we want is that there's not really anybody else out there that there's reflections of me. And so I think one of the things about the heroine's journey, as opposed to the hero's journey, is really saying there aren't enemies out there to be slain. There are aspects of myself that I've considered to be enemies. And if I cut their heads off, I will kill myself. So I, I can't do the hero's journey. I can't go and vanquish and slay and win the battle. There's no winning this battle unless I start to see the enemy as my friend. So I think the hero's journey is about actually coming home to ourselves and calling back all of these um, disowned aspects of ourselves or vilified aspects of ourselves and calling them back and saying, I see you, um, you're welcome here. And, uh, you know, how many times have we seen when you kiss the frog, they turn into the prince, right? And I think this is what happens. This is shadow work. Somehow when we look at the shadow, it becomes an incredibly powerful, radiant part of us. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so I think that there's, it reveals the strength of the heroine, which is, it is, takes a certain amount of strength to behead the enemy, but it takes another kind of strength to say, you're not an obstacle, obstacle to get over or to break through. You need to break me open. Uh, you know, there's, this, there's no battle. To win the battle would be to lose, the, lose myself. So I think it reveals this, this incredible strength of, of the feminine. And imagine if that's how we started to look at the world from a political standpoint of there are no enemies out there. There's no more people to fight. Uh, there we're all just mirrors of each other. And if we actually switched from this, um, 
looking from the lens of the hero's journey at the world to the heroine's journey uh, and people started to, uh, this is what can create, you know, peace and harmony on the planet. I really see it. So mm -hmm. I just love your definition there and, um, and that shift in perspective. It's what the world needs right now. And it's not just women, although it starts with us reclaiming ourselves and then from the more that we reclaim this within ourselves, the more than that men will also reclaim that the feminine genius within themselves. Cause it's not, you know, we can still love our masculine genius as women and men can love their masculine and their feminine genius within them as well. And I love that piece around Einstein to kind of wrap it all together of Einstein had both intellectual and intuitive genius. So Exactly. Exactly. It's up to us, you know, or it is. I, yeah, there's plenty of really enlightened, wonderful men, especially in policymaking positions, less than we'd like, but there are, they are out there. But, um, but I like it. I, yeah. It's up to us. It's up to us, which is a privilege and mm. yeah. And beautiful. Yeah. So thank you so much. Uh, now you, I think you have a link on your website for the book that may also include some bonuses. So you want to give everyone that so yes, people know yes. where to go to get this amazing book. Okay. So come and see, because there's a beautiful video that my publisher and I created and it just feels delicious and like feminine genius. So that's a fun multimedia treat. And then you can read more about the book. And if you decide, you can buy it from wherever, but if you come on that page and the link will be here in the show notes or below or provided by Tanya, um, then you can also tell me, you'll enter your information of where you bought your book and then I'll get you bonuses. And there's a bonus that is, um, depends on you know when you do it, but one is where I will walk you through the book in kind of a book club so we'll talk about some of the themes and the book is structured a little bit like the heroine's journey. So we're going to kind of walk through the, the heroine's journey together. I'll give you some practices to take back in your life and you can have a felt experience of kind of going through the experience of the book with other, other women. And then also there's a bonus of a book club kit just to enable you to definitely go through the book with one or more other women, but it also has my guidelines for creating great women's groups where everybody feels safe and expressed. And you know, that's, that's a potent place to not feel um, shut down or competitive toward other women, but really to uh, create a circle of sisterhood. And so that's the secret mission of the book club kit too. Mm, and you know, we love circle over here. So yes. any resources we can give women around <laughs> sisterhood and, and creating circles. Great. So thank you for that. And that is at lianasilver.com slash new book new book easy and we'll put that in the show notes yeah. so let's uh let's wrap up with um i don't know one couple words of feminine genius wisdom that want to come through you uh, as a final message to everyone listening so i someone asked me i had a reading and a talk the other night and someone asked me why i read the book and i mean why i did read it why i wrote the book and I, I said, you know, it is so beautiful to see the light that comes back on inside a woman. And I just love that her life will be, is her own. And I know the quality of her life and the quality of her relationship with herself and, you know, done. And 
I know the ripple effect of that light. So for me, that women, you know, that are lit with our inner light or lit with the light of feminine genius are absolutely the ones who will light the world and lead the world and heal the world. We are the torchbearers. Oh man, all women. Thank you so much, Liana. And thank you everyone for tuning in and go ahead and jump on over to that page to get Liana's book. It is so good. And we didn't even, we just touched just a little piece of it. There is so much more. I mean, we didn't even get to the Oracle between your legs. (laughs) So you got to get over there and read that book ladies. And uh, yeah. And thank you so much.